Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On today's episode, my guest is Dr. Bruce Tolman, the author of the new book, God's Ecstatic Love. Bruce is a spiritual director, marriage counselor, and an adjunct faculty member for the Hayden Institute. In the conversation, Dr. Tolman and I discuss spiritual direction and formation, searching for meaning, the paradox of love and wisdom, navigating suffering in relationships, wisdom in daily life, and much more. Now, without any further delay, courtesy of squadcast.fm, please welcome the wise and gracious Dr. Bruce Tallman. Well, Bruce, welcome to In Search of Wisdom. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited to chat and hopefully uh, cover quite a bit of ground. Primarily going to talk about your new book titled God's Ec- Ecstatic Love. But before we get into the book, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you've been doing for many years and, and decades now of being a spiritual director and a marriage counselor in preparation. So this idea of spiritual direction, for those of us that are not super familiar, I put myself in that category, what is spiritual direction and formation? Right, right. Okay, basically, spiritual direction is spiritual counseling. Um, And uh, it's like... um, it's like psychological counseling, uh, you know, in terms of being uh, client-centered and non-directive. So in spite of the title, spiritual direction, we're not directing people. We're exploring within their spiritual journey. And, uh, um, yeah, and, and so it's, it's client-centered. It's not focused on me. It's focused on them. I'll only talk about my stuff if I think it'll be helpful to them. The big difference, though, is that, um, uh, you know, I mean, you can talk about God right from the get-go. Or, or, you know, I've actually worked with atheists, too. And so we talk about what gives meaning to your life, what gives you joy, and so on. Um, yeah, so... It's it's really spiritual counseling. It's it's the opportunity to explore your spiritual journey, whatever that looks like, uh, with a trained person, and uh, yeah, in a totally non-judgmental you know environment. Um, so, and people bring, you know, pretty much everything. They they might be dealing with depression, so I might ask them, okay, well, where do you find God in the middle of that? You know, or a spirit? I mean, I know. God can be a loaded uh, word for a lot of people. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's really, I just use it as a, as a shorthand for, it could mean your higher power or wisdom or peace or joy, you know, anything. Uh, consciousness, higher consciousness. Um, yeah, so I, and again, we're not directing people. We're trying to draw out of them what they need to do, you know, to spiritually grow. So I might, 
suggest books to read uh, or, you know, videos to watch, uh, different ways of praying. Um, yeah, just, you know, whatever they bring, we try and work with. So, yeah. It, well, is that enough of an explanation? I, I think so. And maybe we'll spend a little bit of time here. So you'll have plenty of time to to elaborate. I'm curious. So you have a, a doctorate in, in spiritual direction and, and counseling. What initially got you on this on this path? How did you know that was the direction for you? Okay, very good question. Uh, I was in I was doing adult reli- reli- religious education for the Roman Catholic Diocese of London as as running two adult religious education centers, and I started feeling a calling to be a spiritual director. I mean, it really has to be a calling. Um, you can have all the education in the world, but if you don't have the calling, you're not going to be very good at it. On the other hand, you could be, you know, uh, you know, have the calling and not have any education and, and be reasonably good at it. I mean, the ideal thing would be to, you know, to have both the training and the calling, of course. But it's first of all, I believe the calling. It's a calling from God or spirit, um, you know, and... Uh, yeah, so it's just this sort of ongoing feeling I had. I guess that's the best way to describe it, that this is the way spirit wanted me to go. So, mm. yeah, and I just followed that. And there's plenty of train, training programs around. Uh, the Jesuits were um, they're kind of the intellectual wing of the Catholic Church, they were big into spiritual direction. So I, I did my spiritual direction training with the Jesuits of North Detroit. Um, and then I got into a doctoral program at the Graduate Theological Foundation. And, uh, yeah, when I first started, I thought, well, I'll, you know, I mean, before I, like, there's different levels. There's certificates, there's bachelor's degrees, there's master's, there's doctorates. Uh, I initially, I thought when I had this calling, I just thought, well, I'll take a weekend training, you know, and, and that'll be it. And, and, you know, I'll hang out my shingle and people will flock to me. Well, it didn't exactly happen that way. So anyway, I somehow ended up, in, ended up in a, in a doctoral program and managed to graduate. And, you know, that was in, I graduated in 2003 and I'd already started building a spiritual direction practice before that while I was working with the Diocese of London and it just it just kept growing so yeah it's been a it's been a wild ride and uh, very very fulfilling well I love it I appreciate you sharing to transition to this idea of marriage counseling and marriage preparation looking on your on your website You've worked with over 3,000 couples, so just a tremendous amount of experience of working with people. What what comes to mind, if you could sum up briefly of, of maybe some of the the insights from that work, and if there's any thoughts of why marriage is so challenging for us? Yeah, it's challenging because it's the most intimate relationship in the world, and, and you know, you both have your sort of goals and dreams and and your own personalities, and, uh, you know, it's like, you know, sort of 
cloning yourself, except the clone is really different. You know, it's, it's like, you know, you become almost like two people at once when, when you get married and, uh, you know, and the other person becomes two people. So it's like there's four people in the room. Uh, it just gets super complicated. And uh, what I hear from couples more than anything else is, is the biggest issue is frustration. Um, and that has to do with, you know, you, you both have your goals and then the other person's getting in the way of your goals often, you know, and, and frustration just comes up over and over again. Uh, I think that's the main basic issue in marriage or in any relationship, really, in any close, committed, intimate relationship. Um, you have your goals, the other person has their goals, and, and the goals can be about a, a thousand different things. Uh, so yeah, it's, you know, and I mean, we're all broken in some way or the other. And so you get two broken people. We're also glorious, but we're also broken at the same time. I mean, it's a paradox, but it's true. Uh, you get two glorious and broken people together and there's, you know, like I said, it's like four of you really. I mean, the other person really does get inside your skin and you get inside their skin and, it, you know, um, and yeah, so we bring all that, all, all the baggage from the way, our, way we were raised by our parents and, you know, all our wounds and everything into the relationship. And yeah, it's just, it's just so like 24 seven, this intimate connection with the person, you know, and uh, yeah. And so frustration just comes up again and again. Uh, that's that's the main issue I hear over and over. So, yeah. And the main thing is to learn how to communicate. So I teach couples this couple communication method that I invented. And I, and I really borrowed it from three organizations from uh, Marriage Encounter Retrovi, which is French for retrieval. It's a pro both of those things are programs in the Catholic Church and also from the Mankind Project, which is this men's spirituality movement. So I, the men's, the, the Mankind Project uh, taught me how to do safe conflict resolution. And then Retrovi and, and Marriage Encounter taught, you know, effective communication skills, which is mainly about talking about your feelings. You know, how are you feeling about things and how you, how's your partner feeling? And yeah, so uh, this couple communication method. So I just borrowed from these three organizations, put it together, you know, in a new way. And, uh, yeah. And then Grace, my wife and I started practicing it day after day. And, uh, we're, we're both big introverts. We used to just stuff everything, go around mad at each other and not say anything. And eventually it was really, you know, kind of killing our marriage after about, you know, 20 years of marriage. So I, yeah, I figured out how to do this method. I've taught it, you know, to like, like you said, thousands of couples and, uh, most of them find it very, very helpful. Uh, but you know, the main skill in, in marriage is effective communication. That's kind of what it boils down to. That's how you deal with frustration is by effectively mm -hmm. communicating, not being passive or aggressive or passive aggressive, but being assertive, you know, speaking your truth speaking your truth with love. That's the key thing. And that's from St. Paul in the New Testament somewhere. Speak your truth with love. 
If you can learn to do that, that's what assertiveness is basically about. You respect yourself, you respect your partner, and um, yeah, but it's not easy. It takes a lot of courage and, you know, patience and humility and understanding and forgiveness and, you know, all those good qualities. So I, I really see marriage as, uh, I wrote an article once called Marriage, the Bonfire of the Ego, okay? The, the main issue in every major world religion is the ego, the small self. And marriage is the bonfire of the ego because it forces you to grow, you know, because you're in this close contact and your partner is more than willing to point out your failures, your shortcomings and your weaknesses to you. And you got to learn to deal with that. You know, it takes a lot of humility. And uh, yeah, so it's it's a. Uh, I really believe marriage is an engine of spiritual growth, or it can be, you know, ideal, it can be an engine of spiritual growth. So, um, yeah, to try to work with your ego, your partner's ego, to, to really bring your true self out and your partner's true self out, the good, the good self, you know, the self that was created by God to be very good. That's the foundational thing. And then... Uh, you know, evil is always secondary, foundational is good, uh, good is foundational. So it's important to keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you mentioned there, this, this idea of frustration, you, you write in the book how love is more of a, of a choice or a decision than a feeling. So it, it seems like that's a central piece of it because someone might be feeling this frustration and stress and then make meaning of that, that they're not in love with this person, you know, on either side of the relationship. So that's, that's, that's a key point. Uh, in both Marriage Encounter and Retrovi, um, and these are worldwide programs, um, you know, they have a, they usually have a banner up at the front that says that love is more a decision or a commitment than a feeling, which is very, very countercultural. I mean, the whole culture, all the love songs pump into us this idea that love is this glorious feeling. Well, yeah, but there's going to be times in your marriage where you're really not feeling the love, but you can still commit uh, or decide to be loving to your partner anyway, you know? And so, Love is more a commitment or a decision than a feeling. And Grace and I did both uh, Marriage Encounter and Retrovi. Uh, there's four stages to marriage. There's romance, disillusionment, misery. And if you hang in there and keep working on things, true love or season love. I like saying season love better than true love. True love sounds like some kind of harlequin romance. You know? So, yeah, we were in misery when we took Retrovi. And... Uh, uh, you know, and and we kept looking at that banner they have up the front. Okay, love is more a decision or a commitment than a feeling. That's very countercultural, uh, but it's true. And when you make that decision and make that commitment and take that step, it's like emotion follows motion. You know, uh, so once you take that step, the the, the loving feelings start coming back. But whether they come back or not, you can still be a loving person, you know, to your partner. And and that's kind of what seasoned love is, I think, really, or true love. You know, it's it's being loving, deciding to be loving to your partner, 
when you're really maybe not feeling the love, you know? Um, hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, it's we've been married 45 years. We have survived. Uh, we're in, our, in the fourth stage now, season love, and we're in this uh, Shalom group. It's a, it's a married couples group uh, that uh, was based in Shalom Mountain uh, Retreat Center in upstate New York. It, it's been it's been wonderful being in this group because you really need the support of other couples because to find out you're not the only couple out there that's struggling. You know, most couples are struggling and we all put up a facade and, you know, try to pretend we're not struggling. But yeah, I mean, everybody is, every couple is struggling in some way or another. So even when you're in season love, you still have issues. But if you learn how to communicate effectively, you can handle that. I also work a lot with the Myers-Briggs personality inventory in marriage preparation. Um, because the second thing besides poor communication that wrecks marriages is can be personality differences. If you don't handle your personality differences well, uh, so you, you know, you need to learn to work with your differences, not against them. Um, so yeah, and you can use those differences to your advantage. Maybe one person is spontaneous, the other person is a planner. You know, so you put the planner in charge of managing the finances and you put the spontaneous person in charge of making sure that you have fun as a couple. Um, or maybe one person's uh, an extrovert, the other person's an introvert, you know. So you put the extrovert in charge of making sure that you have a social life and the introvert in in charge of making you sh sure that you have an inner life. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, yeah. I don't know if you know the Myers-Briggs, but, I mean, uh, it, it's very, very, it, it's very helpful in working with couples because it really helps them on themselves and their partner and why, why are, you know, there's nothing wrong with me, there's nothing wrong with you. I mean, we're just different, you know? It's interesting. I've I've always been fascinated at, more more recently since i've started this uh you know in search of wisdom podcast a little over a year ago but this idea of wisdom and love being two sides of the of the same coin maybe but the one side wisdom it seems like we traditionally have a lot of humility we don't necessarily think of ourselves as instantly wise and in, in something that we know how to do but on the other side, this thing of love, it's, it seems that we tend to think that we know how to do that and we might have the skills to do it. <laughs> but what, what might be the skills to love? You know, what is required to love from a, a skill set perspective, if you think of it like that at all? Communication, like I said, but also humility, um, you know, Willing the good of the other person. I mean, that's really, you know, Scott Peck's definition of, of love is to will the good of the other person. So, uh, and in Shalom, you know, we talk about, you know, I will your good. I will my partner's good and they will my good. And I mean, patience, uh, peacemaking, kindness, forgiveness, respect, trust, all those virtues you know, are, are the basic skill set, really. I mean, it's about developing your character and your partner developing their character and, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully uh, 
you can make it work. <laughs> it's it's it is, it is challenging though. <laughs> yeah, hearing those back, those sound like all the difficult ones: patience, humility. <laughs> yeah, those are yeah the the lifelong lifelong pursuit ones. <laughs> to transition in into the book, um, you know, a, a figure the Saint Francis de Sales has uh, is a a central figure, and you're providing a bit of commentary there could you speak a little bit about um you know why this book and why he's an important you know figure in it i'm a convert to catholicism which you know may i mean some people may find that hard to believe but people do convert to catholicism people leave catholicism convert to other religions uh, so back in 1983 almost 40 years ago i, I converted to catholicism and um uh, I was reading a book at the time called How to Get Control of Your Time and Life by Alan Lakine. This is kind of the first, you know, time management Bible, okay? And Lakine said, if you want to get control of your time and life, you have to have a lifetime goal. What's your, what's your main goal in life? And so I asked myself, okay, well, what's my main goal in life? And I, my wife had just introduced me to the Bible, and I know that Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Okay, so I took that as my lifelong goal, and then I thought, well, I really need to find out how. How do you love God? You know. So then, I was, you know, uh, looking around for different books. I, I came across the treatise on the love of God, which is a spiritual masterpiece by Saint Francis de Sales. Um, DeSales wrote another book, Introduction to the, the Devout Life, uh, which after 400 years, people are still reading. Uh, but almost, mm -hmm. you know, almost nobody's heard of the treatise on the love of God. Introduction to the D Devout Life is kind of like uh, for beginners in the spiritual life, whereas the treatise is for people who are maybe more advanced in the spiritual life. And, um, yeah, so I started... Uh, reading this book, and uh, I don't think I was ready for it back in 1983, and so I kind of put it aside, and uh, just in 2016, I picked it up again, because I felt called to do that, and, and uh, you know, it was written in 1616, I picked it up in 2016, so exactly 400 years later, and I thought, somebody should do it. 21st century update of this book uh, because you know there's been a lot that's happened in the past 400 years I mean we've had the renaissance the enlightenment uh, you know modern science uh, biblical criticism historical criticism uh, we've had two world wars we had the American revolution the Russian revolution the French revolution the Chinese revolution you know, there's the internet, there's the new atheism, there's people who, more and more people who are spiritual but not religious. Uh, we're rubbing shoulders with people from other major world religions. And, you know, I mean, uh, th this book is amazing, but it needs a an update. You know, it needs a 21st century update. And I kind of feel like God has given me the ability to you know, write stuff. So I thought, oh, well, maybe, maybe I should try and do it. 
And so that's how I got into it. And I started just taking notes a couple of hours a week. Uh, I eventually ended up with 330 pages of notes. Uh, and then I narrowed that down to 75 pages. And then from that, I narrowed that down to an 18-page outline of, of my book, uh, which follows the same format as, as the treatise on the love of God. Um, so uh, the treatise on the love of God is actually 12 mini books. They're kind of like chapters, but he, he calls them books. So I took this, the same format. So my, my book has 12 mini books or chapters within it. And uh, basically I followed his outline and just tried to give a 21st century commentary on it. You know, how, how do you deal with modern science and uh, the theory of evolution? And, uh, you know, for Catholics, evolution is no problem because of Teilhard de Chardin. And, and he was this Jesuit. He was he was a priest, a Catholic priest, but he, he was also a top-notch paleontologist. And he studied, you know, fossil, uh, fossil remains from the past. And you know, came to the conclusion that the universe is actually going in a spiritual direction. I mean, it's going to towards higher and higher levels of consciousness and love. I mean, as humans, we we screw up that sometimes because we have free will. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and love is kind of really running the universe. Uh, Stephen Hawking, the great physicist, said that. He could explain everything by by the, the law of gravity. Well, gravity is kind of like attraction between things, you know, which is a form of love. And so, you know, atoms are attracted to atoms. They form molecules. Molecules are attracted to molecules. They form single-celled organisms. Single-celled organisms form multi-celled organisms. And, you know, you, you go from, uh, you know, matter... Uh, to plants, and then to animals, and then to human beings. And, you know, so the direction of evolution is towards greater and greater consciousness, greater and greater complexity, and greater and greater love. I mean, um, animals can love, you know, dogs love their masters, and masters love their dogs, but we can also love, you know, uh, our extended family, we can, we can have friends, we can love people on the other side of the world. And so, uh, you know, matter intrinsically heads towards spirit. And, uh, you know, so you have the spread of the world religions around the world. Uh, that's another layer. And I think the Internet is all part of this evolution. It's like we're developing this world brain or something. You know, all these interconnections. That, mm. You know, so that this evolution of consciousness, consciousness is... Is going on. It's, it's continuing. Let me ask you, Bruce, there may be people listening that can easily get behind the idea of loving themselves, loving loving others, maybe the mission of becoming a, a kinder, more compassionate person. But sometimes the the idea of, of loving God, whatever that may be, can can be difficult. And I'm curious you you quote the theologian Henry Nouwen in the book who talks about you know all these great saints throughout history you know it was their love for god that allowed them you know to love others could you 
speak to that idea? I threw a lot out there, but no, any no, thoughts that's great. there? Uh, you know, Christ said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, but he said the second greatest commandment is very similar to the first, that is, love others as you love yourself. As you love, I think he meant love your true self, okay? <laughs> There's a false self and a true self. The false self is the ego, the small self, which is all about me and, you know, getting things for me. Uh, the true self is other-centered and, uh, you know, and God-centered. Uh, I mean, so you really, uh, you know, it says somewhere in the New Testament, I think in one of the letters of John, how can you love the God who you can't see if you don't love the brother or sister who you can see? So you love God through loving other people, really. Uh, I mean, that's the, the main way I... You know, you, you could do all the praying and meditating and attending church and reading the Bible, but if you're not loving other people, if you're not becoming a more loving person, it's all kind of nonsense, really. Uh, so, but, you know, I mean, through studying the Bible, which I really believe is God's Word, uh, you know, you can gain wisdom through the wisdom literature in the, in the Bible. I mean, the Bible's kind of a, a library of of, uh, you know, historical books, wisdom books, letters, mythology, all kinds of stuff. And But there's, you know, whole sections like the Psalms and Proverbs. And if you're Catholic or Anglican, the Book of Wisdom uh, and Sirach, you know, it's all about wisdom. There's great wisdom in, in the scriptures of not just Christianity, but any, any world religion. Uh, so, yeah, so hopefully... You know, we learn how to be wise, and like you said, love and wisdom are kind of like flip sides of the same coin. I mean, uh, which is why you know I wrote the treatise, or not, I mean, my DeSales wrote the treatise, but also why I mean, he he kind of takes an intellectual approach to things, and uh, what I see out there is people who are. Maybe they have a very narrow theology, and they're gung-ho about their narrow theology. And then there's people who have a very broad theology, and, and it's sort of like they're not passionate about their faith, you know? So uh, I think it's important to not only love God with all your heart, but also to love God with all your mind. And, you know, have an intellectual faith. I mean, I mean, you have to have an intellectual faith to survive in the 21st century, because... It's just so confusing, and there's so many different, you know, temptations and distractions out there, and, you know, so many different voices talking to us, and particularly with the internet now, it's just become, you know, I, I mean, it's taken the, the voices to a whole new level. Everybody now can be their own channel of, you know, I mean, YouTube, <laughs> their own YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, just... Yeah, it's 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 mind-boggling. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'm sort of wandering all over the place here, but uh, no, this is no, this is great. Love your questions. Well, appreciate that. Let let me ask another one in a similar similar area. There, it's like you know, from a Christian perspective, Scripture talks about God being within you. And obviously within us, you know, within, within everyone else, 
you know, for someone focusing on that love for yourself, love for others, you also talk about in the book this 99 names of God and how even this idea of God can be such a loaded, you know, word and so many different perspectives. Um, you know, is loving ourselves and our neighbor the same as loving God, or is it worth differentiating? Yeah, I think they're all interconnected. I don't think you can love others if you don't love yourself. You know, if you hate yourself, you can't give what you don't have. The goal of life is to be divinized, so that means you're filled up with God, you know. Um, so, and you can do that by, you know, reading the Bible and praying and meditating and contemplating and, you know, just being open to the leading of the spirit. Um, so, yeah, loving yourself and loving others and loving God, how do they differ? That's a great question. Um, hmm. Well, uh, you, you know, we often love ourselves. We don't even realize we're doing it. I mean, just by exercising, eating properly, you know, trying to have good relationships. I mean, life is all about relationships with God, others, and yourself. I think if those are all going well, everything else kind of falls into place. Um, so, you know, you can love yourself by just taking care of your body. Um, and you can love others by taking care of their bodies, you know. Um, and, yeah, being, kind of understand where they're coming from. I don't know if you know the Enneagram. Do you know the Enneagram at all? A little bit. Yeah, we did an episode um, a while back on, on it. So, yeah, just vaguely. So, you know, you can try and understand other people's Enneagrams type, uh, types, uh, their, their Myers-Briggs type. Uh, all those things are tools that are often used in spiritual direction for understanding other people. And uh, so if you can understand the other person, you know, you can maybe learn what their needs are better and... You know, how can you effectively meet their needs? Um, yeah, so um, I'll really have to think about that. Yeah, what is it? What is the difference between uh, loving God, loving others, and loving yourself? I mean, just said a few minutes ago that you can't really love God if you don't love others. And I don't think you can love others, though, if you don't also love God. Um, because that's really foundational. Uh, that's what God created us for, is to love God. I mean, as, as Mother Teresa said, God has created us for great things, to love and be loved. You know, those are the great things yeah. God has created us for. It's interesting. You In, in the book, you list um, many figures that have influenced you, you know, a, along the way. And I, I made a note of a of a few. And as we're chatting about it, it makes it makes me think of some of the things some of these figures had to say. The three I jotted down uh, were Anthony DeMello, Thich Nhat Hanh, and Richard Rohr. Um, and Richard Rohr talks about this idea, may, maybe similar to many of the saints, of panentheism or God in all things. Um but it also connects with uh, something Anthony DeMello talks about of love. Uh, he uses these analogies, and I, I may butcher it here, but it, it's something along the lines of, uh, you know, does a, does a rose 
withhold its its fragrance you know for for anything does a lamp even goes on and talks about the tree provides shade even to the person that's chopping it down if we are to be loving individuals and grow in love you know does it have to do with is there any picking and choosing of of who we love or is it more of a of a lamp like Anthony DeMello talks about. It should be a lamp, really. I mean, uh, you know, the big challenge in life is to get beyond our own biases and, and prejudices and learn to love everybody, particularly people who are really different than us. I mean, Richard Rohr says that you don't really meet God until you you meet the other, somebody who's really different than you mm-hmm. are. You know, because otherwise you just travel around in your little circle of friends. It's like the echo chamber, you know. Uh, I mean, Christ said, love your enemies. So, I mean, that's, that's the, <laughs> that's the ultimate in, in loving, you know, that's the ultimate challenge really to love your enemies. And, and as Abraham Lincoln said, that's how you destroy your enemies. You make them your friends. I mean, incredibly wise, you know, that, that's what he said. I, I, I destroy my enemies by making them my friends. <laughs> so he doesn't have it. It's such an interesting thing. <laughs> speaking of Lincoln, he also says a quote I love, which connects with that is if it's someone that he doesn't like, he must not know them well enough. You know, if this, I'm, I'm feeling this dislike, I need to get to know this person more, um, which is so counterintuitive. <clears throat> you said something in the beginning of the conversation, as we were talking about marriage, um, you said the word misery in there. And I, you know, I had a question around suffering and this dark night of the soul stuff. I think Richard Rohr talks about great love and great suffering. How, you know, can marriage in a, in a healthy way, I'm not talking about anything abusive or anything like that, but in a healthy way, can that be a bit of a, you know, dark night yeah, of the you soul. Can have the dark night of marriage, too. Sure, that's that's the mystery part, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but the, you know, if you hang in there and try and work with that and uh, learn from it, you know, it can take you to great depths. I mean, as Eckhart Tolle says, suffering is our greatest teacher, uh, and you know, that's what the cross is about. It's about you know that God suffers with us, uh, so. Um, yeah, and as as Richard Gore says, people come to God either through great love or through great suffering. So, um, yeah, marriage can be, there can be a lot of suffering in marriage. I, I mean, you know you're in misery when you can hardly stand to be in the same room together or even look at the other person, and you seriously think about getting out every day, you know, then, then you know you're in serious misery. But it took Grace and I about 17 years into our marriage before we hit mis- misery. It lasted for about five years. I mean, fortunately, we had some counseling and, you know, um, and we were both committed that, okay, somehow, you know, we're really not feeling the love, but we're going to get through this. So we did marriage encounter, and then we did Retrovi, you know. Retrovi was really powerful because in Retrovi, basically, uh, in marriage encounter, uh, marriage encounters for couples whose marriages are in good shape, but they want to make it even better. And so 
you hear talks by other couples about how they made their marriage better. So you get all these great ideas about how to make your marriage better. Um, and you do a lot of one-to-one dialoguing with each other. They give you key marriage topics to discuss with each other. So you spend the whole weekend discussing these key marriage topics and hearing these great talks. It's like a booster shot for a marriage that's already in good shape. Retrovi, you know, again, in French, it means it started in Quebec and in French, it means retrieval or rediscovery or recovery. Uh, there's English versions of it, and everything's in English except the title. I don't know why they don't change the title for the English versions. But in Retrovi, you're hearing talks by couples who have basically made it through misery to season love, and they tell you how they survived. So you hear these really inspiring talks, and you you do a lot of heavy dialoguing with each other, like why did we get married in the first place, what's our marriage all about, and can we rediscover our love for each other? So most of the people in Retrovi would be in the, the dark night of marriage. You know, and uh, yeah, I should write a book about that, The Dark Night of Marriage. I like that. That'd be a great title. Let me let me ask you to to transition to a bit of uh, this search, I guess. I, I, I'm not mm. even sure what, yeah. what to really call it. But I, I've asked most guests um, coming on In Search of Wisdom something about what started this. And it, it, it seems that there's so many people that seem to be put on some sort of quest, some sort of lifelong search, whether that is in philosophy, a spiritual path, um, Eastern contemplative uh, type of practices, so many things. How do you make sense of this human experience and this search for fill in the blank? Well, 21st century life is so confusing. Uh, you know, like I said, there's so many voices talking to us. Uh, and I, I believe all these searches are callings, you know, by spirit. Uh, even if a person is an atheist, uh, they're trying to understand what is life about, and, you know. I mean, St. Francis, Francis of Assisi used to spend whole days and nights just asking, okay, God, who are you and who am I? Ron Rollheiser, who I've been reading recently, you know, you know, in his book, The Holy Longing, um, which sold like almost 700,000 copies, I think. But he, he talks about um, God has created us with this sort of basic loneliness. And we're constantly searching to connect with other people. And, you know, because of this basic loneliness. Um, so I think all these, these quests are, you know, they're... Uh, motivated by God. I mean, so we try and understand God with our mind, not just our heart, you know, or our gut. Um, uh, yeah. And they, they, like you said, they can take many different forms. Um, there can be many different types of quests. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, you know, uh, Maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but I mean, in, in Scripture it says, you know, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so, uh, you know, I mean, what it doesn't mean psychological fear of God. It means absolute respect for God, however you conceive of God. And people conceive of God in many different ways. Uh, but, yeah, absolute respect for God is the beginning of wisdom. And... Uh, you know, that's 
So, I, I mean, we all naturally as human beings, and I say this, and DeSalle says this in, DeSalle says this in, in the first uh, section of the, of the first book, mini book within his book, you know, we all seek the good. The problem is that what we're being fed by society is the good is fame and fortune. Uh, what the true good is, is virtue, it's character, uh, you know, wisdom, justice seeking, seeking peace and joy and compassion and so on. That, that's the true good. And then in the second uh, section of right after that, then DeSale, DeSale says, the greatest good is God. You see, and so what we're really seeking, whether we know it or not, is, is God. And there's different paths to God. There's a path of knowledge, the path of love. You know, uh, in Hinduism, those are two major paths, the path of knowledge and the path of love. So, I mean, people, philosophers who are, you know, following the path of knowledge towards God, I mean, it's really... God is drawing us constantly forward and luring us forward. God doesn't drive us. If you feel like you're driven, it's probably your ego that's operating. But God draws us. That's a key distinction in spiritual direction. You know, you have to ask the person, okay, are you being driven or are you being drawn? If you're being drawn, it's probably from God. If you're being driven, you know, it's your ego. And there's not a lot of freedom with the ego. But if you're drawn, you know, you're not forced to go forward, it's your choice. And you can always reject that option. You know, you can reject what God is drawing you to. So there's always freedom with drawing. There isn't freedom if you're driven. It's so interesting. You Somewhere in the book, you talk about Thomas Aquinas talking about this, yeah, this massive work you know, I, I think of that, you know, he was probably called uh, along the way for many years, a decade or so of, of writing this. And then at the end has some sort of experience and basically calls it nothing but a bed of, of straw. How do you, how do you make sense of that, of, you know, maybe what we're called to do and then experience, I, I guess. You know, panentheism means that God is both imminent and transcendent. And uh, uh, so God is in the world. God is greater than the world, greater than the universe. And, you know, the Summa Theologica by, by uh, Thomas Aquinas, he tried to sum up all the wisdom and knowledge, you know, to that point in the medieval world. Uh but then I think he had a genuine, unfiltered experience of God. And after that, it's like Isaiah, you know, in, in, in the Old Testament, or I like to call it the First Testament. <laughs> uh, you know, the Christian scriptures are the Second Testament. Uh, but Isaiah, you know, has a genuine experience of God and says, um, you know, I'm going to die. I mean, I, I've seen God face to face. I'm a man of unclean lips. And so... God sends an angel to, you know, place a burning coal against his lips to purify him. <laughs> uh, it's all sort of metaphorical. But, uh, you know, I think Aquinas had a genuine experience of God, unfiltered, and 
it just kind of blew his mind. It blew him away when he realized, okay, you know, I'm just an idiot compared to God. I mean, you know, even, even, you know, and as it says in the New Testament, God's foolishness is greater than humankind's greatest wisdom. So, the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of, of humans. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, we should all be on this mystical path trying to directly experience God. That's what mysticism is about. You know, it's getting through all the dogma and the doctrines and having a direct experience of God. And that's what you know, Sufism is about in Islam. I mean, that's, I think, what holds Islam together is Sufism. Uh, it's, it's the quest mm. to have that direct experience of God. And I think that's what we all really want, but we're just, we get just so off track because of all the stuff that's thrown at us, all the distractions and temptations of modern life. We're not persecuted in, in the Western world. We're, we're seduced by the culture, you know? I mean, it's not like, you know, in, you know, in early Christianity, people were persecuted by the Roman Empire. Uh, you know, we're not persecuted, we're seduced by the culture, really. And so we're all in this big cultural trance. Let me ask you what I, what I see to be another obstacle to this is, uh, you write about in the book how the founder of the Jesuit order, Ignatius of Loyola, believed that we need to learn this this virtue of holy indifference, which is, you know, how can we experience anything if we have this constant desire for something to be to be different and indifferent to ourselves and, and what happens to us? Yeah, so holy indifference really means, it doesn't mean, you know, you don't care about things. It just means that you only care about the will of God, whatever that is, you know. Uh, not your will, but the will of God. It's like Christ said, thy will be done, not my will. Uh, so that's holy indifference. It's like, you know, God can give you, I mean, Ignatius of Loyola said, you know, God may give you a short life or a long life. He may give you wealth or poverty, health or illness. Uh, you know, holy indifference is to basically accept whatever God gives you as, you know, meant for your own spiritual growth, your own spiritual development. And uh, I certainly, I work with a guy who had um, cystic fibrosis and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've, found that handicapped person people handicapped persons are often wiser than you know the average joe who's physically healthy and is just sucked into the cultural trance we're all in you know it's hard to uh you know escape the trance because everybody seems to be in it uh, so you get out of it by the <laughs> grace of god i mean i mean the sales stresses the grace of God. You can't really spiritually progress without the grace of God. Um, yeah, and, and that can be operating in your life before you even know it. I mean, there's prevenient grace that means that God is operating in your life before you even know it and drawing you forward, you know, through suffering, through love, through struggles, questions. Um, 
yeah, if you're not wrestling with God in the 21st century, I mean, I think you're asleep. <laughs> it's just constant. You know, that's what Israel means. It means wrestling with God. That's what the word means. So Jewish people have learned to wrestle with God. That's what the First Testament or the Old Testament is about. It's about people wrestling with God. And, of course, that continued into the New Testament. And, you know, that's in every major religion, people wrestling with God. It's part of the human condition, the ex existential yeah. reality. Well, our time has flown by, Bruce. This is this has been great. Is is there anything that we didn't touch on that we we should have before we well, wrap up? I would like to say, you know, about my book, God's Ecstatic Love. This is the greatest work of one of the greatest saints of the Catholic Church, Saint Francis de Sales. Uh, he's a bishop. He's a doctor of the church. That means he's absolutely theologically reliable. And so it's his greatest work on the greatest topic, how do you love God? You know, that is the greatest life skill. So, yeah, I tried to do a 21st century commentary on that. Uh, I'm not as brilliant as the sales was, but, you know, I used him as a jumping off point and tried to make sense, you know, out of what he's saying for people in the 21st century. So I don't mean to do the sales pitch at the end, but I, you know, that's what the that's why I wrote the book because I don't see too many Christians loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Strength means the will. So, you know, check it out and uh, uh, see if it appeals to you. I th I think it's uh, you know Christianity has as G.K. Chesterton said or maybe it was Carl Jung, anyways, one of them said that Christianity hasn't failed, it just hasn't been tried yet. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that attributed oh, Chester. to Chesterton. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I like it. Um, well, this this has been great. I, I appreciate you coming on to, to chat about it. Where would you point listeners that might be interested in also the, you know, spiritual direction, or, you know, your marriage counseling work? Well, there's Spiritual Directors International, and there's the Canadian Fellowship of Christian Spiritual Directors. So those are two uh, bodies that are out there. Um, I mean, you can just Google Spiritual Direction and see what comes up, and uh, or marriage counseling. Um, yeah, there's so many great books. Uh, I mean, John Gottman is kind of the guru, you know, for, for marriage. Uh, him and his wife, um, they've published all kinds of books about marriage and, you know, how to have a successful marriage. Uh, but, yeah, uh, so, uh, again, that's that's a search, you know, every person has to go on. They have to find resources that are meaningful to them. So, um, How about if people are looking to connect with you, Bruce? Okay, so I have a website, like everybody has a website. So my website is just www.brucetallman.com, and I am a tall man, so it's just like it sounds, tall with man in the end, brucetallman.com. Uh, you can go there and you can check out my four books um, and, um, yeah, learn more about what I do and who I am. And uh, I also have a blog called Intelligence, 
Intelligent Christian Spirituality. And the blog uh, website is www.brucetallman.blog. So it's .blog on the end instead of .com. So I hope people will check that out. I'm trying to write two intelligent Christian poems a week and post those up on my, my blog. So, yeah, or they could email me, btallman at rogers.com. All right, nice. Well, we'll link all of that in the show notes. Dr. Bruce Tallman, thank you so much for coming on In Search of Wisdom. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your, you know, this uh, great podcast you're hosting, Josh. It's, uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we need to get everybody out there and thinking about things and, and particularly how can we become wiser, you know? That's the big challenge. And and if we if we become more wise, we we become more loving. So, again, the two things go hand in hand. So, good, good for you. And thanks again for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice. Until next time, be wise and be well.